good news for you. God's still in control. Amen. And uh, we're rolling into 2020, and it's going to be a great time in the kingdom of God. I believe that. I speak that into our lives and into the church because I believe the word of the Lord is true and that the greatest days of the church are not behind us but yet before us. And the reason that I believe that is because I believe the word of the Lord. I believe the Bible. Come on, somebody. I believe the Bible. And so it is good and exciting to look into our future uh, with great anticipation, with expectancy, to believe God for great things. The kingdom of God is not what God has said it uh, shall be. If you read the Bible, the church doesn't look nothing like God said it would be. Amen. We're not healing the sick. We're not raising the dead. We're not setting the captive free. We're not delivering the oppressed. Amen. We're not in control. We're not ruling and reigning. The Bible said the kingdoms of this world shall become the kingdoms of our God and his Christ. It looks nothing like what God has said that, it's going, that it should be, but it will. Amen. I said it will. And we're going to see kingdom authority in the earth. Amen. And I believe that this could be the century that we see just that. That we see the manifestations of the sons and the daughters of God taking their place in the kingdom and establishing the kingdom of God in the earth. Amen. Because what Jesus did, you and I should be doing. Amen. Praise God. Well... I don't seem like you're too excited about that, so let's talk about Santa Claus. <laughs> Amen. Merry Christmas to all of you. Look like you did all right. You still got a smile. Well, y'all ain't into anything today, are you? <laughs> What'd y'all come for? We ain't having a dinner today. That was last Sunday. <laughs> Amen. Just joking. Amen. Well, it's good to see you in the house of the Lord on today. We're blessed. And we did have a wonderful uh, holiday Christmas season. We got New Year's coming up. And, uh, you know, we're blessed um, of the Lord and we're thankful to God for that. And, um, you know, for all the sports fans, uh, of course, LSU won big yesterday. Just thought I'd throw that out there. Seven touchdowns and one half. Amen. You realize Burrow threw more touchdowns in that stadium than the NFL threw the whole year? I just thought I'd throw that out there. And then for the Buckeyes that choked. <laughs> well, let me get to preaching. All right. But anyways, we know the big game's coming up yet, and uh, so it's going to be a fun time. But uh, whoever wins those, God's in control. We are winners, amen? And uh, he won at Calvary for us, and so we can have victory no matter what. But, uh, you know, and I know it's humorous and joking about it, but whenever I, I love, I was talking to somebody the other day, and I said, you know, church has shifted and changed. And, and I told somebody the other day that uh, my favorite service was Sunday nights. Now my favorite service is Wednesday night, but Sunday nights was my favorite service, but I uh, couldn't get people to come out to that anymore because of the structures of our, what we do today. But, um, you know, I, 
you'd have people that would come to church on Sunday night. They are shouting on Sunday morning, Sunday night. They come in with their head down and their lips stuck out. I'd say, what's up with you? He said, oh, we lost today. I said, we? We lost. I said, what, what you talking about? You ain't never put on a helmet. <laughs> you, you ain't played the game and you talking about we lost. I wish people would get that involved in our church, right? That we would look at it as us working together. All right, I see y'all ain't going to get with me today. I'll just go ahead and preach. Psalms chapter 119, all right? Let's look here today. Psalms 119, verses 133 and 134. Praise God. Psalms 119, verse 133 and 34. The Bible says there, direct my steps by your word. And let not iniquity have dominion over me. Redeem me from the oppression of men who that, who that I may keep your precepts. Amen. Redeem me from the oppression of men who that I may, how that I may keep your precepts. I want to talk to you today on the subject out of order out of order. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege of this day of serving you and worshiping you. We ask you today, God, that you would just be with us in these next few moments as we endeavor to share your word and to speak your word of life, health, and strength to each one that is here today. We ask you that you would just uh, watch over your word and you would hasten to perform it. Give us ears to hear, a heart to receive, and a will to draw near to you. And for this, we'll give you the thanks and the praise in Jesus' name. And amen. Amen. There are two ways. There's right and there's wrong. There's good and there's evil. There's light and there's also darkness. There's two masters. You love one and you hate the other. You hold to one and you let go of the other. There's two men in the field. One is taken and the other is left. You, you have the wheat and you have the terror. You have the sheep and you have the wolves. You have the right hand, the left hand. You have the saved and the unsaved. You have the lost and the found. You have the blind and those who see. You have heaven and you also have hell. The way to order your or disorder, the blessing or cursed, the way to achieve blessing is simple. You lean not upon your own understanding, but you acknowledge God in all of your ways and he directs our path. Amen. Psalms 1, there's godly way and there's an ungodly way. The Bible said the way of the godly is fruitful, but the way of the ungodly is not so. Psalms 23 tells me that if I follow the shepherd, that he will lead me in paths of righteousness, that he will lead me to green pastures, he will lead me beside still waters, that he, I will fear no evil, that I will be comforted with his rod and his staff, that he will prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, he'll anoint my head with oil, my cup will run over, and surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life because I'm following the good shepherd. In other words, if I walk as he walks, as he has ordered my steps, then I'll walk in order and not disorder. If I walk in order, then the text says iniquity will not have dominion over me. 
I think I can safely say if I walk in order, then chaos doesn't control me. And confusion doesn't dominate my life. Amen. There may be moments that it comes, but it doesn't control and it doesn't reign over me. If I walk in order, then my family walks in order. If I'm in order, my finances are in order. If I walk in order, then my relationships are in order. How is this? Because he orders my steps. Let me just say this today. Being saved isn't a cure-all. It settles the sin issue, and that's the most important thing. But what shall profit a man if he should gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What would, it, what would you give in exchange for your soul, right? The soul that sinneth, the Bible says, shall die. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Being saved doesn't guarantee success. Amen. Because there are a lot of saved people who are a train wreck. Amen. They have peace in their soul, but their family is dysfunctional. Full of pandemonium. Kids are rebellious. Marriage has no harmony. Full of turmoil. Finances are disarray. I don't just want my heart to be right. I want my marriage to be right. I want my relationships to be right. I want my finances to be right. But to achieve this, then I must have my steps ordered of the Lord. Amen. You can have order if you, uh, you, if you get everything in your life ordered, your steps, everything else in your life will have to line up with that order. You can have peace, but if you don't have structure in your life, it's going to be a mess. Amen. I know you want to live on motivation and inspiration, but motivation and inspiration are not enough to bring about the desired end to your life. You've got to have some, some strength in there, and that strength comes from structure. Amen? I, you see, motivation and inspiration will keep me pressing on moving forward but I must be organized and structured in things to bring divine order to my life because God doesn't bless a mess he doesn't bless nonsense he doesn't bless foolishness in fact in 1 Corinthians 14 and 33 he said he does not author uh, he's not the author of confusion he's the God of order amen and if I get in order, it unlocks the blessings in my life. So many times it's the natural and then the spiritual. I do what I can do to line it up in the natural and then the spiritual follows, right? 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 44, it says, It is sown in the natural body, then raised in a spiritual body, there is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. The first man, Adam, was made a living soul and the last Adam was made a quickening spirit. First that which is natural and afterwards that which is spiritual. 
So maybe you can understand it something like this. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. If two or three of you agree on earth as touching a thing. Amen. The Old Testament, then the New Testament. Law and then grace. The Lamb of Genesis and then the gospel of Jesus Christ. The natural rock and water and then the spiritual rock and water. The rock that followed Israel was Christ, right? In Isaiah 32 and 2, he is the rock in a weary land. In Psalms 95 and verse 1, he's the rock of salvation. He said, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. In Psalms 118 and 22, the stone that the builders rejected became the head cornerstone. Isaiah 28 and 16, Behold, I lay in Zion a foundation of stone that he that believeth shall not, be, be, shall not make haste. Amen. And so if we get it in line in the earth, then things will line up with us for heaven. Amen. Genesis 1 shows us the pattern for success. To sow, you need a pattern. To travel, you need a GPS. Something that gives you orders or orders you. To build, you need a blueprint. To cook a recipe. To cook, you have to have a recipe. Even, even people that don't use a book have it in their head. They know what a dash means. And a dab and a pinch. And a smidgen. Right? And they go by some type of order. They know what it means and how much to put in. And you need something or someone to follow. And Paul said it this way. He said, be ye followers of me as, even as I am follower of Christ. And so we learn by imitation. Following the order that is set before us. If you grow up hearing English, guess what? You're going to speak English. Right? If you grow, if you, whatever you grow up seeing, whatever you see imitated is what you're going to become. What you behold, you become. So a word to us parents today is our children will follow after us. The Bible says it like this. You shall know them by the fruit they bear. So don't get mad at them if you don't like what you see. Hallelujah. Y'all are just full of excitement. Santa Claus must have got it all out of you. Amen. Genesis 1, he write, Moses writes about the beginning. Not the beginning of God because he has no beginning. But he tells us that in the beginning God created, right? And he talks about creation because it's the beginning that's important. Hebrews 7 and 33 said, Without father and mother, beginning of days or ending of life, that is Jesus. Colossians 1 and 17, He is before all things and by Him all things consist. 
Job said he was here before the morning star. He sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy. He laid the foundation of the earth and set the cornerstone and shut up the seas and with doors so that they come no further. He's the Alpha and Omega at the same time. He's the beginning and the end. God didn't develop, he didn't evolve, or he didn't become. He has always been and always will be before atmosphere, stratosphere, hemisphere. He is here. Amen. In the beginning, God was the word and all things were made by him and for him. And without him, nothing was made. Genesis is loaded with the beginnings. Beginning of heaven, beginning of earth beginning of vegetation, beginning of seas, beginning of the fowls, beginning of mankind. So many beginnings. Why would God spend so much time talking about beginnings? Because we're always beginning a new chapter. We are always going to new levels, new stages, new seasons. And, and there comes a time in your life when your tutor, your mentor, your instructor, your disciple, they will leave you and you have to begin. And for you to begin, you, you've got to know that it's a new beginning for you. You see, you get, say it like this, you get one department up and going and then you got another department to get up and going. And then when you get that department started, then the department leader over here quits and you got to start it over again. Amen. There's always a beginning, new beginning, starting again. If it was, if it was just get it going and, and, and it goes, then life would be grand. Amen? But that's not the case. The case is in life, no matter what you're talking about, if it's the church, if it's your spiritual life, if it is work, wherever it is, it's always beginning again. God spent a lot of time on beginnings. And beginnings have less glory, less fanfare than the latter stages. Everyone wants to jump on the train when it's going down the hill. Not pushing it up the hill. Amen. But it's important to have a good beginning because it is in the, that's where the strength is. It's in the structure. It's dependent upon the foundation. It doesn't no good to have a brick building with marble uh, columns and stained glass windows and steeple if the foundation is unsure. Psalms said it like this, if the foundation be destroyed, what shall the righteous do? When Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil and to establish a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that would show forth the praises unto him, he has called out a darkness into a marvelous light. He didn't start with the masses. He didn't start with the multitude. He started with the twelve. He's looking for a foundation. And he picks 12 guys for a foundation, 12 that left a lot to be desired. <laughs> Amen. He had two, the sons of thunder, wanted to call down fire on people. He had one that said, I have, I have to see it to believe it. He had one that was going around cussing and cutting people's ears off. Huh? 
but he put a foundation in them and gave them order and made them successful. Think about it. Moses said in the beginning, God, that's the foundation to build the house on. That's the rock to build the house on. Anything you begin without God will fail. Anything you begin because you, you're starved, because someone else told you it'd be a good idea, because you wanted people to listen, because you wanted people to like you, it will surely fail. It will not work, but it must begin with God. I didn't say in the beginning man. It didn't say in the beginning money. It didn't say in the beginning people or even a plan. It said in the beginning it was God. It wasn't administration. It wasn't legislation. It wasn't an office, it wasn't a psychologist or even a theologist. It was God and God himself that established everything on the power of his word. Hallelujah. And I want you to know today that that word is still powerful. That word, the name of Jesus is still victorious. And if you'll live your life on the word of God, no weapon formed against you will prosper. If God is for you, then who can be against you if you believe it give him some praise here this morning <laughs> see in the beginning God decided that's the goal then he declared that's a spoken word he said let there be light and out of darkness he brings the order of light he gathers, he separates, he divides, he prioritizes. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 5 through 10, he does all of that. He gathers, he separates, he divides, he prioritizes. The reason some things look so impossible is because it's out of order. Amen. Sometimes I walk into my office and I look at all the books and I look at the pile of papers and I look at everything thrown all over my desk and all those places and it, it makes me say how in the world but then I take a little time and I clean it up and put the books where they need to be and put my notes in the proper place and, and get everything in order and then I can breathe a little easier because I think it's possible to get something done today amen sometimes our life isn't so horrible it's just out of order it's a mess laying on the table it's not it doesn't look manageable sometimes you have to do like they did on the board of, of the ship you, and when they were headed to Rome sometimes you gotta lighten the ship sometimes you gotta throw some stuff overboard sometimes you gotta bring some order to your life ask yourself what's most important what's necessary And then determine not to go crazy over things that aren't important. Stop worrying about non-essentials. Who cares if the car is red or blue? Stop losing sleep over whether somebody has more than what you've got. You don't have to outrun them to heaven. You just got to get there. Amen. Now, I'm going to shock you. But being blessed has nothing to do with how much God loves you. 
because he loves us all the same. I told you the other Wednesday night, I'm God's favorite child. And so are you. He don't have to love me lesser so he can love you more. He loves, he's, he is love. Amen. And he can give us the same measure of love to all of us. We're all God's favorite children. Amen. And so it isn't about how much God loves me. It's, he's no respecter of persons. But listen to me. He's no respecter of persons. But he is respecter of principles. Just look at Cain and Abel. Cain is rejected. And Abel is accepted. Cain is mad. His countenance is fallen. Genesis 4 and 7, it says that if you would have done what you're supposed to do, then you would have been accepted too. If you're bringing what was ordered, you would have gotten blessed too. But you did not bring what was ordered, so you have been rejected. Number two, it has nothing to do with how much I love God. I know people who love God, read their Bible, live holy, and yet every area of their life is in disarray. They are praying people that have a love for God, but yet are yet in disorder. The poorest nations of the earth are the most praying people you'll ever see. If prayer brought the blessing of God, if prayer brought the blessing of the Lord, Africa, South America, Korea would be the richest nations in the earth. Paul David Young Cho, pastor of the largest church in Seoul, Korea, says he has 850,000 members in his church. They have Prayer Mountain where that 10,000 people at a time go to Prayer Mountain and pray throughout the night. If prayer was the answer, then Korea would be the wealthiest nation on the planet. But yet they're number 15 on the GDP. What's the difference between a first world country and a third world country? Order. Order. There are universal laws, laws of order. Mathematics is a universal law. I know they tried this new math, but it didn't work out for them, did it? But let me tell you, I don't know what you got if you get an apple and an orange and come up with a pear. That ain't math. That's stupid. <laughs> but mathematics is one plus one equals two no matter where you're at. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it may be uno dos, but it's still two. Amen? Music is universal. You can take a scale or sheet music and it is played the same way no matter where you're at. 
I can go to South America, I can go to Africa, and I may not know the, 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 what they're saying, but if I can hear the music, I can know what to sing. Amen. <coughs> Gravity of, uh, is a universal law. It's not a Christian law. It's a universal law. It doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You can take a tongue-talking child of God, put him on a ledge with an atheist. And if that atheist honors the law and the Christian doesn't and disrespects the law and decides to jump off the cliff, guess what? His faith's not going to make him float. Amen? He's going to splat on the sidewalk because it's the law of gravity. Your faith won't make you float. Sowing and reaping is a universal law. Someone that is not even a believer can, can, can get a hold of the revelation of tithing or sowing and be blessed. Amen. It, it's not about you being a Christian. It's about you obeying the principle that is set into motion and you can... You can be an unbeliever, but if you're a tither, the blessing will come upon you. I know what I'm talking about. I've seen it. You see, it requires you to get things in order for you to be blessed. Why don't we have things in order? In our lives. I said we, right? I'm not here preaching at you. I'm with you. Why are, why are we not having things in order? I'll tell you why. It, it, it's, as I heard a quote this week that it said oftentimes the reason why that we don't have um, great success is oftentimes it is disguised with work. And the reason why we don't put things in order is because it takes a whole lot more work to put things in order than it does to mess them up. Amen. You, you, watch this. You can, you can be a witness at work for years. Say 10 years. You can be a witness at work and get angry and fly off the handle and wreck 10 years of what you have put into somebody in a moment. And guess what? You'll never erase that one moment. It's harder work to be in order than it is disorder. And so the things that we have to understand is, is it takes energy and it takes a lot of work to get in order. What are some things we need to order? We need to order ourselves. Order yourself. Matthew 23 and 26 said, the, the blind Pharisee cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter that is outside of them may be clean also. This involves thought life and attitude. 
Matthew 22 and verse 35, a lawyer may, may ask, Master, which is the greatest commandment in the law? <laughs> this was a religious lawyer, and there are some, at this time, 613 main laws recognized. And the reason he was asking was these three, 613 were divided into some were stronger and some were lesser laws. And the harder ones were the ones that were and seemed to be the ones that was most important were the ones that were harder to fulfill. And so he comes and asks this great deep question and asks, what, what, what should we do? What is the greatest ones? And God's Jesus says to him, what? <coughs> you shall love. The Lord God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind and with all of your strength. And this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is likened unto it. To love your neighbor as yourself. What does this say to me? It says, get love right vertically so that I can get love right horizontally. If I don't have love right vertically, loving the Lord God with all of my heart, my soul, my strength, then I'll never be able to love you as myself. Amen, pastor. Amen. Love right vertically, you have to get love right horizontally. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 21 through 24 says it's possible to have such bitterness, unforgiveness, anger, and resentment, and hostility till you, your offerings and your prayer is no good. You must realign your relationship. Relationships are key in life. Even your spiritual life. Because the Bible speaks of it like this. He said, I was glad when they said unto us, let us go into the house of the Lord. Let us, not let me. Amen. You know, notice when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, he said, our father, not my father. It's about relationship. He says things like this, a three-fold cord is not easily broken. Two are better than one. If one falls in the ditch, the other can bring him out. Jesus sent them out two by two, Acts 2 and 24, and they continued steadfast in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, and breaking bread and in prayer. See, the way the enemy gets us is he, he, he causes us to think that we're lone rangers. And how many know that lone rangers don't make it? Amen. If the enemy can get you out there on an island by yourself and make you feel that you're ostracized and nobody else has ever been where you are and nobody knows what you're going through and, and you're the only one that's ever dealt with this, then he's got you where he wants you to play mind games with you till he destroys you. Amen. That's the reason we need one another. 
Because when we have one another, we come to an understanding that we're not the only ones that have walked down this path. We're not the only ones that have ever had this struggle. We're not the only ones that have ever dealt with this situation or even gone through what we're going through. The reality of it is, is if we have brothers and sisters around us and we're connected together, we'll realize we're all in the same struggles. We're all dealing with the same situations, maybe not at the same time, maybe not in the same way, but we're all dealing with the same things. You see, if a child is taken from a family, the child suffers from detachment disorder. A study was gone year, done years ago by a weird scientist who wanted to know what the original language was. And so they took four children from birth and deprived them of hearing human voices and interacting, no interaction. The nurses only fed them and offered them no communication because these scientists wanted to know how they would communicate with one another, what language would, would come forth, how would they respond with one another. But they never found out what how they communicated. They never found out the uh, first language because they all died. Why did they all die? Because you need human interaction. We need one another. I said we need one another. That's the reason why that we cannot allow the enemy to divide us. That we must have relationships and we must have oneness of heart so that we can lean on each other and we can draw from each other because there'll be a time when I'm weak and you're strong and I need your strength in the time of my weakness. But guess what? You'll also, there'll come a time when you need me. And even if I could discard that and say that you never need me, is it okay if I still need you? Is it okay if I still need that relationship? Is it okay if I still need your strength? Is it okay if I still need your prayers? We need to learn how to govern and how to reconcile relationships because there will be offenses. Life is not sterile and neither are relationships because there will be offenses. Christianity is not, it isn't a, 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 a well, let me say it this way. Christianity is a contact sport and there are offenses. This book is not just about genealogy and poetry and stories. It's about painful. It's about messy. It's a, it's a bloody book. Amen. And God put this stuff in here to show us how life can really be. There are betrayals in this book. Huh? Oh, Judas. There's denials in this book, like Simon. There's arguments and disagreements in this book, like Paul and Peter. There's contention in the church with Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. And Barnabas wanted him, and Paul didn't want him, and Barnabas took uh, him, and Paul took Silas. Amen? 
And Romans 12 and 18 said, If it be possible as much as lieth within you, live peaceably with all men. Sometimes it's not possible. Amen. That's the reason why he said, if it is possible. But there's sometimes that offenses needs to be that offenses come. And we'll all be offended. If you haven't been there yet, you need to brace yourself because you will be. I'm pastoring a whole lot better than you letting on today. Amen. Offenses come at the hands closest to you. You can't offend me if I haven't let you in. Amen. But it's when you've let them in, whoever it is, when you've let them in and the closest to you, it is them that they are able to offend you. Genesis 4, it was Cain and Abel. Huh? Family. People will hurt you for no reason at all. Princes have persecuted me without a cause. So when offenses do come and they do hurt, you know, they had this saying whenever we was growing up, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Yeah, that's stupid. <clears throat> Amen. Because you can hit me with a stick and it'll only hurt for a while, but you can sever my heart. And it'll take years to get over. And let's just go ahead and throw this out there. That, that people pat you on the shoulder when you're going through difficult times and tell you, oh, time will heal. That ain't true either. Because I know people that something's happened to them 15 years ago and they're still as bitter today as the day it happened. Time doesn't heal nothing. Only God can. So what do we do? When we've been hurt, what do we do whenever we have gone through this, this, the times that, that the Bible speaks about of us being offended? Do you sever them or do you salvage them? Well, I want to submit to you, you do both. There's some that must be severed and there's others that can be salvaged. If we can repair them, then we need to repair them. <clears throat> what does repair mean? Well, we've got the Greek, uh, Geek Squad for computers. We've got Maytag for the repair of the washer and dryer. We've got Mr. Goodwrench for the car. But never try to get a relationship fixed. Why is that? Because it's hard work. If Satan can convince you it's okay to be bitter and angry, if he can convince you that it's okay to be resentful because of what people have done to you, then you will be held hostage the rest of your life. You must learn to forgive. Forgive us as we forgive our debtors. We must forgive in the same proportion. Right? 
Judge not that you not be judged. For without judgment you judge, you shall be judged. And with what measure you met, that shall be measured to you again. You have no right to ask God to forgive you if you haven't forgiven others. It's his mercy and it's his grace. Amen. So how do you do? Do you sever it? Or do you repair it? If it's repairable, then you repair it. You take it to God. How do I decide whether it's repairable or it's severed? The foundation, and this is just me, I haven't read it anywhere, I'm just telling you, just an old country boy, this is how I make my decision. If I'm going to try to repair this relationship or I'm going to sever it. My question is, can I trust them? Because if I cannot trust you, I cannot build a relationship with you. So therefore, I will forgive you and pray that you forgive me. But we're not going to walk together. Amen. For me to forgive you don't mean I've got to get, walk hand in hand with you any longer. Amen. It doesn't mean we're going to be best friends. It doesn't mean that, that all of the, we're going to work together. It means that I have forgiven you and I've released you for what you have done to me. And I pray God's blessing upon you, but we're not going to work together anymore. It's severed. Amen. But if we can trust, if we can work together, if it is repairable, then allow the Holy Spirit. And it takes time. I said it takes time. It's harder to repair a relationship than it is to develop one. <clears throat> if you don't believe it, ask, ask the spouse who has been cheated on. Is this too real? I guess it is. Ask the one who has put it all out there only to be stabbed and to use what they've been, you have given them against you. It's hard to repair it. It takes work. And if it's not willing to be worked on on both ends, then it cannot be repaired. If Satan can convince you it's okay to be bitter and angry, then he will win over you and you'll be controlled by that thing the rest of your life. That's the reason why I choose to forgive and choose to forgive quickly. Amen. The Bible says that you have to bring your gift to, in, to, in, to the Lord in prayer. <clears throat> what are we going to do? We've got to order our finances. <clears throat> Y'all all right? Deuteronomy 26 and verse 2. Thou shalt take of the first of all the fruit of the earth, which thou shalt bring of the, thy land, and the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou shalt put it in a basket, and shalt go unto the place where the Lord your God shall choose to place his name there, and honor the Lord with your substance and with your first fruit of all thine increase, so uh, shall thy bear barns be filled with plenty, and thy presses shall burst with new wine. 
concerning our money, the tithe is not just 10%. It's the first 10%. It's not the cost of admission. <laughs> Amen? It's not the cost of admission. If you, in other words, if you don't show up for a month, it doesn't mean that you don't owe that to God. If you go on vacation, it doesn't mean that that, 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 off, that, that, that tithe does not still belong to God. It's just like your mortgage. Just because you go on vacation doesn't mean you say, you call up your mortgage people and say, well, I was on vacation last month. Right? When you pay it first, it aligns the rest of your money. If you don't tell your money where to go, you'll wonder where it went. Amen? When it comes to tithing and giving, it is an economic issue. Or excuse me, it is not an economic issue. It's a heart issue. I don't give because money is tight. Well, I can show you other people whose money is tighter than yours and still give. Amen. I have had people give to me before when it embarrassed me because I knew their situation. I had a young lady right here in this altar bring me a, a, a money and whenever I say money, bring it to me. I didn't take the money. I, did, I put it the offering, but, but my heart broke whenever she put that in my hand because I knew that was, that was all she had. And I wanted to give it back to her and say, no, you need, because she said, this is what I've got in my checkbook. This is all I've got. And I said, I, I wanted me, I wanted to give it back to her. And the Holy Spirit said, no, it's not yours. That week, I've taught you about sowing and reaping. I don't believe that you sow today and reap tomorrow. Now, sometimes maybe God can supernaturally do that, but I believe it's putting seed in the ground perpetually that brings about a consistent harvest. Amen? But this is what I do know. That week, that lady sent me a, a message telling me about that she got not only a new job, but she got a $10 raise over her old job and how that she got money come back in the mail that was unexpected. I want to tell you today that it isn't about uh, 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 if we've got it or not. It's about the matter of the heart. Do we trust God with it? Amen. Do we trust God with it? I remember hearing a pastor preach years ago whenever I was a kid. He had a, had a, a, a hat on and a trench coat. And he was just up there beating the band, preaching away. And uh, about halfway through, he said, I reckon y'all wondering why I've got this hat on and this coat. He said, I noticed some of you robbing from God, not paying your tithe. And he said, I knew if you'd steal from God, you'd steal my coat and hat. And just went on back to preaching. <laughs> We got to order our finances. How do we order our finances? Give it to God first. I promise you, I promise you that if you give to God first, you'll never miss it. 
In fact, if you do it with the right spirit, increase will come to your life. If you do it with the right heart. Amen. <laughs> Hallelujah. Y'all been quiet all day, but it just really got quiet right there. Let me talk to you about ordering your prayer life. Disciples were called a lot of things, including witnesses. They witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. They, they witnessed the walking on water. They witnessed the healing of blinded eyes. They witnessed the cleansing of leopards. They witnessed the dead being raised to life. They heard his words and they said, Neighbor, a man has spoken like this man. Not the, as the scribes and the Pharisees, but of one having authority. Right? How many know you can read the word, but then you can read the word? You can speak the word, but you can speak the word. He spoke and the raging seas and the winds and the seas obeyed his voice. And yet they didn't ask him whenever it came down to it. And, he, and maybe, I don't know, you know, what was your wish? What was your desire? I don't know how it came about. But when it came down to it, they never said, Jesus, teach us to preach like you preach. Help us, teach us to teach like you teach. Help us to talk like you talk. No, they said, Jesus, teach us to pray. Because they knew his authority came from his communication with his father. <coughs> I submit to you today, we don't operate in authority because we don't communicate with our father. And we're not secure in our relationship. And when we're not secure in our relationship, we're not willing to put it out on the line that says, thus saith the Lord. We need prayer. I said we need prayer. We need to pray. And the Bible teaches us to pray early. I'm not going to get into that theological debate about you got to get up and pray early but the Bible does teach us that people got up early and prayed Jesus prayed early Abraham prayed early Job prayed early right he, in, in Psalms he talks about early will I seek you in Proverbs he says those that seek me early shall find me in Mark he said and the in the morning rising up and get great while before day he went out and departed in a solitude place and there he prayed and so he prayed then he prayed early and he also prayed often right the Bible says men ought to pray always and not faint pray without ceasing pray always with all prayer and supplication the disciples fell asleep on Jesus three times in the garden and finally he just said, go ahead and sleep on him. Amen. Now I'll give you some profound wisdom of mine even if you don't want it. Personally, I believe you ought to give God your best time. Whatever that is, if you're an early, and what I mean by that, if you're an early riser and you, you function best of the mornings, give God your best. If it's in the middle of the day, if it's late at night, whatever it is, but make sure you give God your best because what good is it to pray if you're going to fall asleep? That's where the disciples were. They fell asleep and he just said after three times, just sleep on. Amen. We, we must be sensitive to the voice of prayer. 
We must be sensitive to hear the voice of God. And so we have to enter into that place where that we can hear his voice, where we're ready to hear his heart. And, and, and the spirit of prayer, how many know when the spirit of prayer comes, it's a lot of fun to pray. But the discipline of prayer is not a lot of fun. But it is just as effective. The Bible doesn't tell me that I, I should pray when I feel it. Huh? But he tells me to pray early. He prays, tells me to pray often. He tells me to pray uh, fervently, right? Jesus reacted to their sleepiness. And he said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. One of the signs that you're out of order is when you no longer desire spiritual things. When you've lost the appetite for church. When you've lost the appetite for prayer. When you've lost the appetite for the word of God. Amen. When you're in order, you look forward to those things. When you're in order, you're, you, you look forward to coming to church. You look forward to spending time with your brothers and sisters. Right? You look forward to opportunities. The kids are at school or the kids are away. I'm going to turn off the phone and I'm going to seek the face of God now. Or maybe I've got a few moments off of work and I'm going to turn on some worship music and I'm going to spend time with God. We can communicate with God. How many times do we see God trying to talk to man? The voice of God came to Adam. And the Lord said to Noah, Abraham, to Moses. Many, many times prayer is not a monologue, but it is a dialogue. Whenever God can speak back to you. Right? Because how many know God speaks? Said, so how many know God speaks? Sometimes he speaks in a dream. Sometimes he speaks through vision. Sometimes he speaks through our senses. Sometimes it is, it is a drawing of something inside of us that just draws us. Sometimes he'll speak himself to us. But we've got to be people that order prayer. Amen? Then we've got to order our faith. Get your faith out in front. I want to see your faith now, faith, in operation. You'll need it. I said you'll need it. If you're going to make it through life, if you're going to make it in the kingdom of God, you're going to need your faith out front. And you're going to have to exercise your faith because there's more days than not that you're going to have to walk by faith and not by what you see. Is it true? If you go by what you see, you'll crumble up in a heap and give up. But if you have faith out in front, you know that God is greater than any circumstance, any situation, and you choose to believe the word of the Lord. You choose to believe that faith and you believe God. I believe in miracles. I've seen them. I've received them. Amen. I believe that God's still the God of miracles. But we've got to know today that it's more than just a God of miracles. But we walk in faith and we know that there is a life of blessing. Huh? 
What's the difference between a life of miracles and a life of blessing? Some are always needing miracles. They live in crisis from crisis to crisis. They're always desperate and dire need. And thank God he's a God of a miracle, huh? But there is, a, there is also a place that when we walk by faith, that God sustains us day by day. When he perpetually blesses us. And I don't need CPR every day. Huh? I want to be a blessing to somebody else. I want to breathe life into somebody else. The longest sustained miracle was the manna that came with the morning dew. It, it was just enough. But when Israel got into the promised land that was flowing with milk and honey, the manna ceased. God said, now you can do it for yourself. Now you can sow and then you can reap. Now you can, you can sow corn and you can have corn. You can, if you want wheat and barley, you can sow in the fields because now you're in a place of abundance. Huh? Let me show you what happens when you have ordering in your steps. There was a famine and they were eating donkey head and dove dung. First, second Kings chapter seven. Order steps broke the famine. God wants to bless you, but you've got to walk in his word. I've got to walk in his word. And as they walked out God's word, the Lord made their steps sound like horses and chariots. Huh? And a great host. And they thought that the king of Israel had hired all of these people to come and kill them. And so what did they do? They dropped everything and they left it all. You know the story. They left everything behind. And whenever these four lepers went into the camp, they found the, the, they found the, the meal already prepared. They found the gold and the silver in the tents. They found everything that they needed of substance until they couldn't carry it all in one day. But in fact, in one day, the famine was over. Why? Because four leprous people, was, their steps were ordered and they went into the camp under the order of the Holy Spirit and God broke the famine off of a nation. What would happen if the church would get in order? We can sit around and fuss about Democrat and Republic. We can fuss it about our city. We can fuss about our nation. But what are we doing about getting in order ourselves? Let me submit to you that when the church comes into order, when the kingdom of God comes into alignment, capital can't stop us, White House can't stop us, there's no devil in hell can stop us because when we get into order, the favor of God and the blessing of God comes upon our lives and everything that we touch becomes blessed and prosperous. All we need to do is get in order. 
Faith can turn a situation around, alter circumstances, change the outcome, cancel satanic assignments. Amen. It can destroy the problem. It can leap over limitations and bring us into a place where we break through the barriers and we push through the parameters and we heal the unhealable. Why? Because we are able to cure the uncurable and stop the unstoppable and move the unmovable. How do we do it? Because we have faith in God. And not in ourselves. Amen. Telling you today that if we get ourselves in order and we line up with the word of God, there is so much that God will do through us. If you can believe. If you can believe. All things are possible to them that believe. All things. Psalms 37 and verse 23, it says the steps of a good man are ordered. I want my steps ordered of the Lord. Amen. I only have a certain amount of steps. There for a while I was working out. Then I read something about that a man or a human only has so many heartbeats. And to die. And I got to thinking, my Lord, I'm over at the gym and my heart feels like it's coming out of my chest. I'm killing myself. <laughs> so I quit it. <laughs> the steps of the righteous ordered of the Lord. I've only got so many steps in my life and I want my steps to count. Amen. I want my steps to count. I'm not an old man, but I'm not a young man anymore either. Brother Carl asked me today, he said, how old are you? I said, I'm 52. But I want my steps to count. And I want to leave a track where that if someone chooses to follow my steps, that I will lead them into success and not into failure. I want to lead them into blessing and not into bondage. I want to lead them into hope and not fear. Amen. The good thing is, if I'm not on track, I can get on track. Amen. Are you ready? You got something pretty? No? All right. There's, I, I have a love hate relationship with a GPS. Amen. I think maybe it was me and James going somewhere the other day and had that thing on. I think it was James. and He said, oh, you got a man's voice on there. I said, yeah, I don't need two women telling me what to do. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. But you know what that thing 
that thing's pretty smart, but it ain't the real, it ain't as smart as me. <clears throat> because there are times whenever it'll tell me, make a U-turn. Make a U-turn. I'm thinking to myself, I know where I'm going now, and I'm sure enough not going to turn around and go down this side road so I can save two seconds because I done went back two minutes to get back to the U-turn place. So that ain't happening. But sometimes in life, we need to make a U-turn. Autocorrect. How many's ever had autocorrect? I've sent some stuff autocorrect that weren't right. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. Whenever I looked at it, had it typed in there, it looked right, pushed that button. When it went out, it didn't say what I said. Some of y'all laughing, you know what I'm talking about. Amen. Sometimes you need autocorrect. Sometimes we find ourselves off course. Sometimes we just need to make a U-turn or we need to make an adjustment. And most of the time it's not, we, if, we're, if, we're, if, we're list, if we're sensitive in our life, it's not a large thing that we have to do. It's just a little thing that we need to do to get back online. Because the further I'm intending on going, the more important it is that I stay the course. Amen? Has my time run out yet? The further I'm intending on going, the more important it is that I stay on course. If I'm just going out here to the parking lot, it really don't matter how close I am in proximity. I can pretty well hit the parking lot. But if I'm leaving here and I'm going to Mexico City, I can get off just 10 degrees and end up somewhere that isn't Mexico City. Are you with me? I've heard preachers say, and I, I'm not blasting nobody. I, I, I understand. I think I understand what they're saying. But I've heard preachers say, what if you died tonight? Well, if I died tonight, all I need to know is my eternal soul is all right with God. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. My question is, what if you live another 20 years? What are you going to do? How are you going to live your life? I don't need a whole lot of faith to die. I need faith to live. I need his word to live. All I have to do is surrender my heart to him and my eternal soul is with him and throughout eternity. But I need to do something more than that to live. Amen. Pray that I'm helping somebody here today. I want us, this is what's in my heart. I want us in 2020, I want us to start out on a solid foundation that will propel us into everything that God has spoken over us, everything that God has put in us, everything that God has declared and determined to be ours. I want to see the fruition of it before we go into 2021. I want to see the beginning of it. Huh? Is anybody with me? I want to see the beginning of it. I want to see the fulfillment of his word, his promises. I want to see the manifestation of the word of God. 
And I'm not being disrespectful. I'm just pastoring here. I'm sharing from my heart tonight or this morning. I'm not being disrespectful. I believe in the gifts of the Spirit. But I don't need another prophecy. What I need is to see the word that the Lord has already spoken over my life to become in a manifestation in my life. And for that to happen, I've got to get things in order. Amen. Stand with me today, please.